COVID-19 changed our everyday world. No matter what your economic status is, there was no way to avoid the pandemic. At a shelter for homeless women and children, it only added more to the stress and struggle they deal with daily. I'm Ron Brown, and this is Whole New Worlds. We produced a podcast series about how Primo provides shelter and helps thousands of homeless families get permanent housing. We launched it, and then the COVID-19 pandemic hit at about the same time. The virus took a lot of our focus and energy and concern, and it dominated the national consciousness for months now. We've had to adapt to new ways of doing basic things in our lives in order to keep safe. And at the Primo Center, those are challenges upon challenges for their whole new world. Today, I'm speaking with two people who know a thing or two about meeting challenges. Primo's Community Relations Officer, Shelley Cooper, and Clinical Director, Trevon Davis-Neal. Okay, Trevon, let's let, let's bring you into this uh, really early. Uh, what, what were some of the obstacles that you saw uh, serving this community, and uh, how did you overcome them? Our CEO actually placed us on our own lockdown. We had our own quarantine probably about three to four days prior to the city actually instituting the lockdown and quarantine. It was tough. I'm going to be honest. It was tough initially. And so trying to um, explain to our residents that they needed to stay you know, in the building, trying to explain to children and adolescents that they needed to be socially distanced. What does social distance look like? And so just, you know, explaining those definitions to them at the same time, making sure that our staff felt supported because we could not close. It was a production. Um, And again, we were doing the best that we could do the best that we knew how to do. Um, A lot of planning and mapping out, um, a lot of leadership meetings, team meetings. Now, people of color already made up a disproportionate share of our homeless population before the pandemic. And in a normal world, if if we can remember what that was like already, uh, it was challenging to keep them safe. But according to the CDC, they're the most vulnerable to COVID, too. So I'm wondering, uh, Shelley and Trevon, did you see a high rate of infection among the families that you help at the shelter? Well, um, among the families that we serve, or, you know, during this time period, none of our families directly were, you know, contracted COVID. Do you attribute that to everybody taking it, both the the families who were coming there for help and the staff and the protocols, everybody taking it super seriously right at the beginning of the pandemic? Or did it just happen to be the luck of the draw? No, I definitely think it wasn't the luck of the draw. I think it because it was a concerted effort and because the CEO did take measures almost a week before the mayor imposed the stay-in-place quarantine. I think that definitely helped and securing, you know, all of the sanitation, you know, the sanitizing equipment and items, that really, that did help. We did everything that we possibly could to keep everyone well and safe. And it paid off. What kind of uh, systemic changes do you believe need to happen to end what we know is disproportionate housing barriers for people of color in Chicago? Well, that is not an easy task. Um, You know, we know that affordable housing is key. You know, just additional mental health support in the communities. All of the infrastructure, it's been benign neglect 
And I think that has resulted in the disparities along all of the social determinants of health areas. And I think that what COVID and the current social issues, you know, have brought to light is that it gave us an opportunity to reset. And hopefully, you know, that will take place. The crisis responses often fail to protect the most vulnerable. And with the recent protest and just um, an awareness that Black and Brown communities were hit hardest has really resonated with the society in general. And, you know, we've encountered challenges throughout the history of this country, but because there was the the intersection of everything and everyone having to pay attention, the murders of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd, it really has just brought to light that everyone is not afforded equal opportunity in this country. So um, with that, the first step, and then making sure that there is a true concerted effort not to necessarily share the resources, but to make sure that everyone has the resources um, that they need, um, I think is where we are at this point in time. And that's something that the Primo Center for over 40 years, we have been making sure that individuals that we are serving have resources and support and are not neglected and understand that there are advocates to help them and to help people that have challenges with regard to their mental health and housing. So this is is not simple. I don't think anyone thinks it's simple, but I do think that there will be more advocacy and remedies to create better lives for individuals, communities, and the world at large. I want to just add to what everything that Shelley said, and I agree that um, it will take a concerted effort at multiple levels, but also just to add the disparity in education and in, in what is being taught and the resources um, in different schools in the city of Chicago, where a zip code determines the type of education a child may receive. I think that that needs to be addressed. And in addition to that, um, making sure that everyone who works in the city of Chicago is being paid a livable wage so that they are afford to pay rent in the city of Chicago. And it has illuminated, you know, the pandemic and the um, demonstrations. They are they are working, I, I believe. There should never be a 30-year life expectancy gap between residents living in the north and south and west sides of Chicago. So, you know, the disparity, I do believe, will be addressed. At this time last year, the kids were getting excited about going to school. At this time last year, there was a big party at Primo. Uh, which we went to and we saw the we saw the smiles. We saw the kids uh, being happy about what was ahead of them. And this year, it's just, you know, 2020 has just thrown everything up in the air. What is the difference that you've seen, Trevon, about how the kids are approaching going into this school year? Um, even with the ending of, of last school year, um, I know last year we had a celebration 
but we didn't have the party this time. No cake and ice cream and balloons and, and music um, because we have to be socially distanced. One of our residents, and he's about 14-year-old um, young man, he was, you know, just was having a rough time with his, his mom. And so I just kind of pulled him to the side and we just walked um, in the shelter, just walked around, walked in the gym um, until he was able to calm down. And I was asking him some things about what he enjoyed doing. And he mentioned playing football, but he was not going to be able to play football this year because of COVID. He also mentioned with a smile, and I'm smiling now too, as I think about that interaction, that he had recently met a girl and that, you know, she was going to be uh, his girlfriend, although he could not quite remember her name um, at school, but he was missing just that time of being, going to school and being quote unquote normal and doing things that teenagers do. So the other thing that really stood out to me in, in talking to our early learning director is how do we teach three and four-year-olds, five-year-olds, um, how to socially distance. Parents have spent time, caregivers have spent time with these children, teaching them how to share and be nice and hug instead of hit and shake your friend's hand and those type of things. How do we now teach a three, four, and five-year-old that you can't hug them? You can't play with them with the same toy. You have to be in this little station over here and only play with that one, you know, with that toy. And you can't have multiple children playing together or even playing side by side, which is, you know, what kids would typically do and what you would want them to do as we are training them to be more pro-social. What has the psychological effect been on the population that's already reeling with some outside pressures that most of us can't even imagine? And, and how are your families holding up? Yes, we did see some increase in anxiety, um, some increases in the level of depression. Most of our clients already are suffering with symptoms of anxiety or depression. So we did see some increased levels of both anxiety and depression, frustration, and, and rightly so. So there was some frustration and I'm grateful that we were able to establish telehealth where our residents were still able to meet with their case managers. They were able to meet with um, our agency psychiatrist and we were able to provide them with the, you know, electronics and the computers to be able to do that if they weren't unable to do that um, with their phones. You know, and then again, just frustration. We've had a couple of clients who were, you know, a couple of weeks away from actually being stably housed. Mm -hmm. And so when COVID hit, you know, and the city shut down, their dates for moving was postponed. And then, you know, just questioning whether it's actually going to happen or when was it going to happen. And, and so that brings in a certain amount of anxiety in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, we had residents who were looking for stable employment and who were in the process of being interviewed and possibly starting employment. We actually had a resident um, that I can remember who came at the end of January. She received a job in February. And then, you know, by March, after maybe her first week being there, was laid off 
because of COVID and uh, the agency or wherever she was going to be working, you know, needing to shut down. Okay. Now, we had mentioned some equipment for uh, kids earlier on who are going back to school. Schools closed early and uh, went to online uh, learning uh, late last year, and then they're doing the same thing as they're opening up this year. So how is uh, Primo helping students with the computers or the iPads that they need to help them uh, complete schoolwork remotely? And is there more of a need for that that you'd like to get out there? We were able to equip all of our students with the technology that they needed for virtual learning. So we are constantly assessing needs and um, looking for support. We were very humbled um, and grateful for grants that addressed the the technology um, requirements. All Chicago was very helpful as well as the Chicago Community COVID-19 Response Fund, Lavin Family Foundation, you know, just to name a few. But the pandemic creates additional cost mm-hmm. um, for our organization and the additional support is needed and appreciated. What kind of supply donations are needed most right now at this moment? And, and have you been able to keep up so far? Thus far we have, but we have, you know, new families coming in all the time So, you know, we have to assess the needs of that individual family. So I'm I'm anticipating that we will need to provide more laptops, maybe even more hotspots along those lines. We were very grateful to uh, a campaign this summer that was supportive of needs across our programs and you know that that will continue through the you know i'm sure throughout the year that was um, specifically the global gift registry they don't change their essential needs are and basic needs are always required you know for the the families that we serve if you think of what you would need on a daily basis that's what our families need on a daily basis Mm. um you know from toiletries to underwear to diapers to kitchen supplies and just whatever one would need on a daily basis. The residents aren't the only ones affected by COVID-19. The staff is as well, both at home and at work at Primo Center. So what have you been doing to help the staff deal with these new pressures? It took our staff here being calm and level-headed And that's where the trauma-informed care training that we have with our staff really kicked in for them to understand that the reaction of the clients was not, you know, related to them or directed towards them. It had nothing to do with them. Okay. Shelly, is there anything else that you've done for the staff at the Primo Center? We have created a wellness, you know, we we have a, a, a workout area now and also have a trainer. So, you know, we've implemented a health and wellness program on site for um, our staff because they're taking care of their own families and our families, and we want them to be at optimal health as well. How can individual residents of Chicago help the shelter and the homeless population? How do they get donations to you? They can go to our website, primocenter.org, and they can donate Um, online. We have a platform for financial donations. There's also a list of in-kind donations that is listed as well on the site. 
Now, if you enjoyed this conversation, or if you're interested in finding out more, all the other episodes of Whole New Worlds we've done are just as important and relevant as they were before the coronavirus, perhaps even more now. So we invite you to follow this series and meet these people at the Primo Center on a personal level. If you've already listened to it, please invite someone that you know to listen to it as well. Whole New Worlds is brought to you by Primo Center, dedicated to ending the cycle of generational family homelessness. If you want to contribute, it's easier than ever. Text New Worlds, all one word, to 44321. Or visit primocenter.org for more information. The show is hosted and produced by Ron Brown and Jesse Patent. Special thanks to Primo CEO Christine Aker, Shelley Cooper, Eric Harmon, and everyone from the center who spoke with us. Special thanks also to Charlie Meyerson, Sheila Solomon, Janine Harston, Terry Lydon, and Cindy Palaskis of Rivet. Special thanks also to Moby for letting us use his music throughout the series, including our theme song, Porcelain. Once again, you can make a donation to Primo Center by texting New Worlds, all one word, to 44321, or head to primocenter.org. I'm Ron Brown. I'm Jesse Batend. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.